I want you to dial in your breakfast whenever that is for you. It needs to be something that has protein in it. You know, maybe you're using a smoothie as a technique. Great, let's try that for a month and let's really make it a habit. Now that we've dialed in our breakfast, how do we level up at lunch? What can we do to create an environment that allows us to make that lunch a new habit? And so maybe that is what I call meal prep light. Every Sunday, I don't meal prep for six hours, but I bring in all the produce that I bought. I wash it, I chop it, I put it in containers. That way when I open my fridge, it isn't this hard thing to make a salad or to saute some veggies. Pick one healthy habit, get good at it, and then layer on the next. That's Kelly Levesque, and this is The Proof Podcast. Hey friends, welcome back. It's great to be here with you. I hope you're having a lovely week. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. I'm glad that we are finally connected. I'm Simon Hill, your show host, nutritionist, physiotherapist, and author. This show is dedicated to making science-based lifestyle decisions. In a world of misinformation and disinformation, my goal is simply to bring you agenda-free, nuanced information to help you optimize your health so you can feel better today and better for longer. I'm also a huge believer in considering the effect that our lifestyle choices have on the world around us, another theme that we'll explore together. Before we get into the details of today's episode, I have a new resource that I would like to draw your attention to. I recently returned to the Rich Roll podcast for a second time, this time around to talk about optimizing a plant-based diet. So if you're interested in learning more about nutrients of focus, such as iodine, B12, and D3, everyday supplements that I recommend, supplements for performance, for example, creatine and nitrates, the importance of protein as we age, how to modify your diet to lower cholesterol, and plenty more, then I highly recommend checking out this episode. It's episode 664 of the Rich Roll podcast, which you can find on YouTube, as well as the Apple and Spotify podcast apps. Check it out and let me know what you think. All right, let's get into today's episode. Today, I sit down with nutritionist Kelly Levesque, who is well known for her Fab Four nutrition framework. In this episode, we walk through the framework, zooming in on the importance of protein, fiber, healthy fats, and greens. We talk about why she's a big fan of smoothies and the way she likes to construct them, refined carbohydrates and blood sugar levels, how food affects hunger hormones and satiety, and plenty more. I certainly enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. With that, let's jump into it. This is Kelly Levesque. One of the best ways to track our health is to regularly get blood work done, so we can take a peek under the hood and get a feel for the state of our cardiometabolic and hormonal health. 
You can do this with your local doctor, or you can use a service like Inside Tracker. The nice thing about Inside Tracker is they make the process super convenient. You can organize their phlebotomist, a person who draws blood, to come to your house or office to do the blood draw. A few days later, your results show up in the Inside Tracker app, and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal, normal, or optimal. I've checked Inside Tracker's lifestyle recommendations, specifically the exercise and nutrition ones, and I can confidently say they are evidence based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show. They even added ApoB to their ultimate plan, based on recommendation from myself and others. It's also nice to have all of your lab results readily accessible in one mobile app, making it easy to pull up past results and see trends and patterns over time. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon for this exclusive offer. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 Multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains eight key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA Omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750 milligrams of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating two to three pieces of fatty fish per week in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. Hey Kelly, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. Yes, it is a, a real pleasure to connect. I was on your show a little while back and I'm looking forward to having the opportunity to share your knowledge this time and, and all of the wonderful things that you're doing with the, the folks here in this community. Before we kind of get into the details of your philosophy, which I think is really interesting and, and, and how you help people with their nutrition and, and overall wellness and optimize that, you have quite the extensive background and I know you're very humble, but I, I think it's important for people to have an idea of, of your experience and your journey to date. Perhaps we can open this by you sort of walking us through your road to becoming a holistic nutritionist and some of the cool things that you've had an opportunity to do in your career so far. Absolutely. Well, looking all the way back until I guess you guys call it uni. When I was back at uni, um, I was majoring in finance. I was following in my dad's footsteps in business. And I took Nature of Human Health and Disease, which was a class in which my thesis or you know, the end of that class, my paper was on type 2 diabetes. So 
it was the best grade I ever got in college. And um, I called my dad in tears and I said, I should have been pre-med. I should have been in kinesiology. I don't want to do real estate and finance like you. I want to go into health. Um, And I was lucky enough to have my dad's support to help me pay for college. And he said, that's great, honey, on your own dime. If you want to go back or keep going, that's on you. Um, And I ultimately ended up taking extra classes to get a concentration in nature of human health and disease. And I went into the business of medicine. So I was first in pharmaceutical sales and then in medical device and the OR, but eventually made my way into cancer and genetics where we were mapping um, the genes of solid state tumors. Just really interesting because you start to understand the feeding pathways of cancer. And, um, you know, there are estrogen receptors on specific cancers and they're, you know, with energy, like extra blood sugar, <laughs> there's growth that can happen. You know, energy creates growth, whether it's a um, regular uh, cell or a cancer cell. And the body has all these checks and balances, like apoptosis, programmed cell death, where we're able to cleanse our own body. And, and so I spent eight years in cancer and genetics. And every single year, um, I did well in it. I could have had a career in it. Ultimately, I was with people who were very sick, um, whether it was breast cancer, or ovarian cancer, um, colon cancer. And it's heartbreaking. I mean, when you see people that are, that are sick or you see someone become sick, I know you had this experience with your dad. Um, I mean, like I have the full body chills right now, knowing that I wanted to help in a different way. And every single year I thought about going back to school and I felt like I was too old. You know, and at the time I was like 23 or 24 years old and I had paid my dues. I had gone to school. I, I, I couldn't go back. Why would I start over? I built this amazing career. and it just kept calling to me because, you know, you're in an oncology center and you see tumors excised and then you see radiation and then you see chemotherapy and the breakdown of the body. And these are like pretty intense chemicals in the human body. And you see that breakdown and then you turn around and see that the patient being handed a bottle of Ensure or a Snickers bar just to get their caloric load up and to make sure that they're eating enough. And Finally, um, one of my best friends was like, all you do is talk about health and nutrition. All you do is get on PubMed or get into Google Scholar and look at these studies because my whole career was taking the science of um, what it was, you know, solid state tumors and looking at their genetics and breaking down this technology for oncologists to use in their practice. So I was taking very serious science and making it applicable to the doctors I was calling on and to their nurses and, you know, their support staff. And so for me, taking the science of nutrition and breaking it down for my community was really easy. And what I ultimately ended up doing was finally going back to school. First, I became a health coach. And then I went back to take postgraduate nutrition courses and sit for the clinical nutrition exam. And now I help clients holistically. So I look at everything from um, their blood tests, hormone panels. We look at their homes. We look at the supplements they're taking. Sometimes I'll get a NutraVal, which is a diagnostic test where I'm looking at amino acid levels, fatty acid levels, B vitamins. And I work hand in hand with functional MDs in Los Angeles and New York. But I ultimately decided to side hustle this Like I went back to school at night and I saw clients on the weekends and that was back in 2011 to 2012. 
started my business in 2012, took it full-time in 2015. But it's been... Since I started the business, it's now been a decade of writing books and seeing clients and coming out with courses and really just trying to educate people on nutrition and specifically blood sugar balance. Yeah, you must, in hindsight, be very happy that you had the kind of courage to follow your intuition and pursue you know, further studies. As you say there, I think, I think that's something that many people go through in their early 20s, you know, thinking, oh, maybe I'm not going down the perfect path. Maybe I should you know, t- just divert off and, and experience something else. But we do get caught up in that idea of it's too late. You know, I'm, I've, I've already spent so, invested so much time here. But really, when you think about it, like not many of us in our early 20s have fully understood what it is that we love to do and have landed in the perfect career path. And I actually heard a story, a very interesting story the other day. I'm not sure if you've heard this, but it speaks exactly to this. And it was Matthew McConaughey. And I I don't want to get this wrong, but I believe that he his career, he actually started out in law school. Um, he was doing some some type of degree like that. I think it was, I think it was law and Again, you know, that was a kind of career path that was, you know, very fondly looked upon by his family. And so it was like what he was set out to do. And during his studies, he realized that actually he had this love for storytelling. And initially he thought he would be behind the camera. And, you know, obviously, eventually he found himself in front of the camera, but he told this story about how he called his dad. And it was a, a huge moment for him because he was going to tell his dad that he was going to leave his degree and go and pursue storytelling. <laughs> uh, and he explained that when he said to his dad, you know, I want to do this. And his dad said, are you sure? And he answered with conviction saying, yes. You know, he didn't answer with, oh, I'm not sure this. He, he basically very quickly showed his dad that I've actually, I've weighed this up and it's a very considered idea. And, you know, of course, his dad actually really respected that and, and of course, supported him in, in doing it. But I, I think there's a, a lesson for all of us there. You know, we in our own mind can feel like it's too late to get started. But you know, there's there's always time to make changes, and and if you're following what you love, you know, you'll make it work. Right, and I think also why waste another day? Like if you're being called to do something, if you, I was so passionate about nutrition, I was willing to take the money that I was making in my career to fund my education, to fund building a website, to fund to give up what would be like my social hours with friends on the weekends to, I mean, with my first couple of clients, I was getting up at 5 a.m. And um, I mean, full disclosure, when you're in the beginning of building a business, you kind of think you need to have everything. So, you know, some people don't realize this. If they follow me online, I'm a certified personal trainer with prenatal um, accreditation and like all kinds of stuff. I think I thought I needed to be everything. I have a 200 hour yoga certification. I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be the health guru for my clients, but ultimately niche down into the stuff that I love, which is blood sugar. But 
you nailed it on the head. I remember telling my dad that I was starting my business and I mentor nutritionists um, and health coaches actually. And that's something that I'm really passionate about because I don't think there are enough of us. Like, I really think we need teammates and we need coaches. And it's one thing to read things on the internet. It's another to get a text from a, a coach that's like, Hey, what's the plan for this week? Or let's check in. And how are you feeling? Because sometimes we just need to be heard. And so I really, really love um, building up people in my space because there's no scarcity here. There are so many people facing chronic lifestyle diseases, but to have the conviction to tell your parents that you're going against My parents were so proud. You know, I worked for large Fortune 500 corporations. I had stock and a 401k, and I was ready to let it all go. I jumped off a curb and not a cliff, meaning that I side hustled my business for a solid three years before I took it full time. But in hindsight, I probably should have taken it full time at the year and a half mark when I had had enough clients to afford my life. But I was, I mean, we, we're raised to do something serious. Um, what you know, I'm married to what we call my husband, we call him a recovering attorney because I convinced him to leave that job and follow his dreams, also writing stories and um, writing screenplays. But we only have, I mean, to continue to learn and grow and push yourself. Even now, um, you know, I'm going to be 39 this summer. If I decided right now and I was still in cancer and genetics, and I still had this calling to go, you know, help people before they get sick, really on that, on that front end to really help people build habits and understand their biology. I'd do it now still. I, I wouldn't think that I'm now being through it. Like I'm not even too old now. Like, I don't think you're ever too old because whatever time you have left, like you want to make the most of it and you want to give off. I mean, just there's so much good energy and um, vibration that comes from people that are following their dreams and helping other people. There's nothing like helping other people. I agree. It's very, very inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. And and I think the the idea or sort of notion of a side hustle is a good one for someone who's thinking, you know, just very scared about leaving something behind and there's, you know, financial security and a lot of different considerations for different people, but that can be a good way to kind of dip your toes in the, in the water and get some momentum. And then it's uh, a less sort of abrupt uh, change. So your career uh, as a holistic nutritionist, I, I, I'm interested in how your philosophy or your approach may have changed as you've gained more experience and knowledge over the last 10 years, can you, can you kind of recall, you know, in your early days, what your approach may have looked like and, and how that's evolved? So looking back, I've always loved blood sugar. I have always loved understanding how our food breaks down to blood sugar, how that blood sugar is used in the body, used in the cells and how it creates energy. I love thinking about and understanding how to eat to feel fueled and grounded, not frenetic and hungry or anxious. That's important to me. But I would say that my philosophy has changed in that in the past, fads or you know, maybe a new study, I might look at that and say, that's the end all be all. But now that I've mean, been, been in it a decade, there's themes that come up for me and things that I think are interesting. But Everyone needs to 
everyone needs to find for themselves what is their eating pattern and their eating philosophy. And I like to be more vague in that I don't like strong rules because I don't want my clients, I want my clients to have food freedom. I don't want them to binge, restrict, um, end up in a fad diet or end up at the very far end of that spectrum, which may be orthorexia, anorexia, any type of eating disorder. So for me, I like, you know, I created a very vague eating style. I call it a, the fab four lifestyle, but it's buckets because I have clients who are raw vegans and I have clients who are, you know, using a ketometer and lean paleo, almost carnivore. So for me, it is working with a client as a, as a consultant and saying, okay, um, Sometimes we get blood drawn and we look at what's happening inside their body, but really it's understanding how do they want to eat? How do they like to eat? How do we optimize that for blood sugar balance? Because my job is to teach you how to balance your blood sugar so you have sustained energy and you feel that calm when you eat food and you're fueled to do what you're meant here to do, which is give back, help people, follow your passion, create. And that's, I'm helping my clients get out of their own way when it comes to food. I think we become easily obsessed with food and we stop thinking and looking into how we should be eating and what feels right. And we look out, what does the world want us to do? How does the world want us to eat? And we jump on fads and rolls. This is exactly why I wanted to get you on. Uh, I know that you have this, would you describe it as uh, a structure? Because you mentioned the word restriction then, and I think restriction and structure are very different, right? Yes. And I'm sure you've thought about that. So, so perhaps we go through what this structure is, what is the sort of fab four framework. And then we can, after sort of explaining that at a high level, we can kind of dig into each of those components and and why you chose each of the four individual components and and just why that they can be important for people to consider when going about making up their their breakfast or their lunch or dinner. Absolutely. So Again, I love blood sugar balance. So I'm looking at how can we eat foods that support our blood sugar balance? And so the fab four is exactly what you call it. It's a structure. I call it a light structure lifestyle. So the four things or the four pillars of the fab four include protein, fat, fiber, and leafy greens or vegetables deep in color. And when we break down each of these categories, when we look at protein, you heard me say that I like blood sugar balance and I like satiety. I like clients to feel calm and relaxed by the food that they eat. I also want my clients to eat what their body needs. Now, it doesn't matter if you're vegan all the way to carnivore, you have to get amino acids from your food, right? Plant-based, animal-based, that's your preference. But amino acids, essential amino acids, we need to get those from our food. We need to eat them, digest them, assimilate them, and use them in our cells. So finding a place for protein on your plate is important. And protein is actually the most satiating macronutrient. So it calms our body. There's a um, protein satiety theory that says we will continue to eat until we get the amino acids that we need. Yeah. I had uh, Stephen and David from University of Sydney. They wrote a book called Eat Like the Animals. I'm not sure if you've seen it. I haven't seen that one yet. So that theory has largely been influenced by their research. And they looked at exactly what you were talking about in, in animals from locust to various insects and pandas all the way through to humans, essentially showing that we have the strongest appetite for protein of all nutrients and therefore we will eat until we get enough protein. So if we eat food that is protein diluted, has very little protein for a lot of calories, 
we will in fact overconsume calories in order to get enough protein. Exactly right. So you 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 just taught taught pillar one yourself. I mean, that's what it is. Is is what you just said is if there isn't a source of protein on the plate that's going to allow for your body to absorb those amino acids, you are going to fill your plate with the other things that maybe you know, calorically dense and not delivering those essential amino acids that you need. I love that. I'm going to put that episode up right before this one. So that will make even more sense for everyone listening. But I love that. Just maybe before we go into some of the other components, let's rewind. Blood sugar control. Why? Why is this important? What is it? And and uh, what are, I guess, some of the negative effects of poor blood glucose control? Right. So if we don't look at what the pillars of the fab four are protein, fat, fiber, and greens, what's the other side of that? That's mostly processed sugars, carbohydrates. And so you want to think about, okay, let's say that you had a piece of toast, a cookie, a piece of cake, uh, liquid sugar, orange juice. What that is, is that's liquid carbohydrates or processed carbohydrates or highly starchy carbohydrates. If you picture yourself eating that, I always tell my clients to imagine emojis. So let's say that you're, you grab a little cookie, you eat it. Your enzymes in your mouth are starting to break it down. You're chewing it. It drops into your stomach. It's being digested by hydrochloric acid. It makes its way into your small intestines, more enzymes. It's absorbed into your bloodstream as glucose or blood sugar. And so your blood sugar starts to ascend or go up and that's normal. Your body is absorbing that. Um, and I always, I always tell clients, blood sugar isn't bad. It's a source of energy, right? That energy needs to be put into cells for use. So it's stored in your liver and it's stored in your muscles. And the way that it gets there is with the hormone insulin. So insulin grabs that little cookie emoji. You can picture all the little cookie emojis floating in your bloodstream and going up. Insulin's grabbing that sugar and it's putting it away in cells to be used as energy. So it's going to put it in the liver, which is like the gas tank for your organs and for your brain. And then in your muscles, the gas tanks of movement, right? But what ends up happening is your blood sugar, when you eat whole foods, let's say fiber and greens, you're having berries, you're having squash, these carbohydrates, the sugars and starches, they're wrapped in a fiber cell. I think that nature is so beautiful like that because what you have to do is you have to chew, digest, and ferment through that fiber to release that sugar and starch. It's a slow release instead of something that's processed, which we call an acellular carbohydrate. Acellular carbohydrates are the flowers. They're the liquid sugars like juices and things of that nature and sugars like processed sugars. So What's interesting is when you see an elongated blood sugar curve, when you're eating whole foods, that sugar and starches are slow to release, your blood sugar is elongated. When you pair that with protein and slow it down with fat, you see this beautiful elongation of a blood sugar curve. You're going to maybe go up 10 to 20 at the most milligrams per deciliter and gradually come down. That's going to allow for the pancreas not to over-release insulin and put you in a place of hyperinsulinemia. And then also when you see the other side of that spectrum, when you have those processed carbohydrates, those liquid carbohydrates, when your blood sugar skyrockets up 50 to 60 milligrams per deciliter, you're going to get a surge of energy. It's kind of like you went to a sleepover and had a lot of candy or something like that as a kid. Like you're getting all this energy. Your pancreas is overreacting. It's dumping a bunch of insulin, which is the hormone that picks up that sugar to put it away, dumps a bunch of insulin in your blood sugar. And what we see at the 90 minute mark is 
you're going to start to see that crash happen. And that blood sugar roller coaster, the higher you go, the harder you crash, depletes your energy. Not only does it deplete your energy, it increases cravings. On top of that, you're also going to find that your fasting blood sugar levels over time start to go up. And so what happens when we see elevated fasting blood sugar? We see chronic lifestyle diseases like prediabetes, insulin resistance, type two diabetes, hypertension. You're going to see fertility and fertility-based diseases like polycystic ovarian syndrome and endometriosis. These are all affected by that elevation in fasting blood sugar. And what ends up happening is we start converting that sugar to triglycerides. And then we start seeing an elevation in triglycerides and we see an elevation in visceral fat. For me, it's teaching my clients, no matter what their lifestyle is, what they choose, how they choose to eat, that there are essential things that we need from our food, essential amino acids, essential fatty acids. And then I like fiber and greens. I look at those and I say, that's your microbiome health. Like that is that is also protecting your body because when we're having those fiber-rich foods, we are slowing down our blood sugar curve. We're elongating our blood sugar curve to more of a, a rippling river and less of these overhead crashing waves. If you've tuned in to the many episodes I've done focusing on cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death globally, you'll be well aware that ApoB is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than LDL cholesterol. The only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test ApoB levels. Fortunately, this has now been made easier by Inside Tracker, a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, MIT, and Tufts that provides lifestyle advice based on your blood test results. With the new edition of ApoB, Inside Tracker's ultimate plan now analyzes 44 biomarkers, including metabolic health markers like HbA1c, triglycerides, and blood glucose, important nutrients like vitamin D and iron, as well as hormones like cortisol, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone, and total testosterone, before giving you science-backed lifestyle advice to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With Inside Tracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. 
After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash living proof to download your zero cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash living proof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. Talk to me about elongating that curve versus I think now definitely on social media, I've seen this idea of flatlining Yeah, and CGMs have become super popular. And I think there is some utility for CGMs. I'm, I'm wondering if everyone is interpreting the data in, in the right way or as would be informed by the science that we have. But you know, how do you feel about that? The, the idea of just lower is better and just flatline it versus having rise and falls that are not you know, crazy up and down roller coasters and are within healthy in the sort of normal range. Do you have a view on that? Yeah, definitely. I think anytime we get excited about an idea, we can take it to the nth degree. If low carb is good, then no carb keto is best for everybody. Like that's the idea, right? So when you see CGMs, CGMs are a great tool. How would I use them for my clients? Well, it's checking your blood sugar every minute. So things to be aware of is do my clients have an elevated fasting blood sugar? Are they in a pre-diabetic range? That's the first thing we want to approach and attack. If it's elevated, we do want to bring their fasting blood sugar back down into a normal range. 70 to 80 is where they want to be. If a woman, for example, in her you know, mid thirties to mid forties is somewhere in the high nineties of the fasting blood sugar rate. She's doubled her chances of Alzheimer's. She's doubled her chances of, of type two diabetes. So there are serious health consequences from that. That is important. Now, just because someone has a, has a glucose ride doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad for them. I think we need to remember that I had a uh, container of blackberries downstairs yesterday, like yesterday. And I have a continuous glucose monitor on right now. I wasn't following the fat before. I wasn't eating it with my protein or my fat. It had been, you know, it's kind of like I was downstairs with the kids. I'm doling out breakfast. I grab the berries. I'm heating them. I'm having my coffee. I'm making the breakfast, check my blood sugar. And I went on a 30 point excursion, you know? So it's important to know how your body responds. Do I think, oh my goodness, I'm wrecking my health by having uh, you know, a small bowl of blackberries. Absolutely not. You know, there are, it's loaded with antioxidants, it's loaded with fiber, but it's interesting to me. And what I pay attention to is like, okay, I probably should have a little protein and fat right now because what's gonna happen is if I'm gonna crash out from this, it may make me hungrier and I may want to graze a little bit more the rest of the day. So I'm constantly using CGMs as a way to educate my clients and educate myself on how my body responds to food. But it it's also important that our bodies are amazing and they, they are meant to handle hard things. Like we are meant to be, be on blood sugar excursions. What we don't want to be seeing is blood sugar excursions, elevated fasting blood sugar, where hey, your fasting blood sugar is in the 90s or 100s and you go up 60 points every meal and you had no idea. No wonder you're tired. No wonder you're having a hard time saying no to processed foods. It's inspiring when you see your CGM, when you see your blood sugar curve elongate and it's inspiring to know, hey, if I do add a little vinegar, apple cider vinegar to my vinaigrette and throw it over my veggies and I eat my veggies first, like maybe you have a salad to start or you have, um, you know, some crudite, all of a sudden you can see these tweaks that support blood sugar 
balance and elongate your curve while still being able to indulge in it and have things that you love. So fasting blood glucose of around 70, if it's getting up to 80 or 90, you're a little bit worried. What about postprandial? So after someone eats something, what's that kind of upper level that you would like to see blood glucose kind of not go over? Yeah, I think if you have a, a healthy fasting glucose of 70 to 80, I think 30 points for a meal isn't out of hand. Um, what's most important is that we see that number come back down three to four hours later. What we can see with someone with insulin resistance or someone who maybe is eating a more processed food diet is that they they wake up in the morning and they have, you know, we just don't want to label foods with just say it's gluten-free, it's dairy-free, it's paleo, it's keto, it's vegan, like pick a health term. Like that doesn't tell me that it's healthy or not. And so you had your dairy-free, gluten-free, paleo, keto, vegan pancake or muffin for breakfast that's loaded with vegan chocolate chips. Like your fasting blood sugar is 88 or 92. And you had that muffin, you went up 40 points, you came down 10, you're hangry, you're irritable, you're hungry, you're going into your kitchen, you're opening the pantry, you're looking for the next best thing. And you're going back up. And so what I think people don't realize, which the CGMs are supportive of, is allowing for people to see my blood sugar went up, it came back down into a healthy range, it went up, it came back down into a healthy range. It also gives you the opportunity to notice if your mood, if your anxiety, your stress levels are related to blood sugar. There's many times I work with clients that think that they're just wired this way, or they are really an anxious person, when I see that they're having hypoglycemic episodes and maybe they're not dropping into a hypoglycemic state, but their blood sugar is dropping at a rate that's making them feel anxious, irritable, and have cravings. And so what the cool part about blood sugar is, is you start to learn what feels best in your body. And then you can look at the data on your own, you know, on your own glucose levels and start to understand, okay, if anything, I think it gives me more freedom. And it teaches me how to make meals that I love that I can enjoy without guilt. And that work with your physiology. Yeah. Elongating that curve. I think you explained that really beautifully there around what we're trying to achieve here. And this then comes back to the way that you've constructed the Fab Four. And you mentioned there that that protein and, and fiber will help you with elongating that curve. Uh, and fats. Can, can you speak a little bit more on, on protein and fats? And you mentioned that you had blackberries and you said, look, if I had have had that with some protein or with some fats, then maybe I would have had a, a better blood glucose response. What would have happened there? Why, why is that important? Well, so here's a normal day in the life of a mom with two kids who runs your own business, who talks about blood sugar balance. And I make what I call the fab force movie, right? So normally... In that moment, I would have been filling my blender with um, a little water, unsweetened coconut milk, and a little bit of protein of choice, you know, for that might be pea protein for someone, collagen protein for someone else, a little protein, throw a little fat like almond butter, then the fiber, I might throw some chia seeds in there or some flax, then I'd throw some greens, like a handful of spinach, and then I'd throw like a half a cup of blackberries in there, blend it all up. I know for a fact after, you know, years of now almost two years of wearing a CGM that my, my blood sugar would go 
three to eight milligrams per deciliter up with a smoothie like that, that I would feel fueled and full. And I would roll into lunch, not feeling like I'm crashing out, not feeling hungry, making uh, a more, when people talk about wanting to eat intuitively, it's really important to me that their, that their blood sugar is balanced because intuitive eating, you don't even have the time to think about how you should fuel yourself. If you're really hungry, if you're shaky, if you're irritable, if you're crashing. And so understanding how to fuel your body so that you become a little more metabolically flexible so that you arrive at your next meal feeling great is really important to me. Now, (laughs) I'm giving you an example, a real life example of, you can just picture me in the kitchen trying to serve up food, turning around, grabbing it. You know, I'm in a place, grabbing a handful of blackberries, throwing them in my mouth. Blackberries are phenomenal for you. Like there's no, I mean, if someone's going to tell me they're not great for me, like I'm ready to have a podcast with you right now, let's break it down. But it's, it's understanding that's that, that protein not only slows the digestion of that meal, fat, I think about fat, like a blanket over your food. If fiber is the cell locking up the sugar and the starch, you have to digest through that fiber of say, whatever plant-based food has sugar or starch in it, then fat, it's like a layer on top of it. That's going to slow it down. Protein slows down that digestion. So all of those things are, are going to elongate that curve because it's slowing down the rate at which it's being digested, released into your bloodstream and causing that, that spike and crash. So I'm not mad at myself. I don't feel guilt or bad that I had that those, but there was, you know, there is a difference in starting my day in a way where I feel balanced and relaxed. And we know that starting your day with somewhere between 20 and 30 grams of protein, like breaking your fast, when you decide to break your fast, if you break it with protein, not only is your blood sugar more regulated the rest of the day, there's less late night cravings, late night eating, there's less three or four o'clock cravings for sugar. So if that's an issue or a time of day where you feel that "Hmm, I could go for a coffee or I could go for a chocolate right now, that's there are changes hormonally that create that, but a blood sugar, dysregulated blood sugar exacerbates that. I think people listening will, will be hearing this kind of idea of different foods affecting hunger hormones and then that affecting how satisfied and full we are after meals and thinking, you know, that's really interesting at a kind of high level. What, what exactly is happening here? How, how are different meals affecting our appetite in different ways via these hormones? Well, I go through about eight hunger hormones in my first book, Body Love. I have a chart because I'm a chart person. I think that's very easy to understand. But some of my favorite hunger hormones um, are ghrelin, for example. Ghrelin is a hunger hormone that is regulated um, and calmed by fiber and the stretching of our stomach, actually. So when people, when say, for example, you're just having a plain juice on its own or a small protein bar on its own, really focused on quantity or compact foods, what can happen is we're not having that, the physical stretch receptors of our stomach activated and the calming of ghrelin. So I always tell my clients, it is really important when you, if you don't want to be snacking all day long, you need to eat a satisfying meal that not only is going to give you the protein that you need and the fat that you need, um, but it's physically going to stretch your stomach and calm your body. So take the time, sit down, eat your meal, chew it. That's all really important, but the weight of your meal makes a difference too. So sometimes I'll have, you know, I'll see people make a smoothie on Instagram or on social and they pour it and it looks like 
the thickness of almond milk. Like that's really easy to have gastric emptying and to not physically, you know, cause the same stretching that you would have from a, from a real weighted meal. And when you think about fiber and greens, they are phenomenal at creating bulk and weight of a meal. So when I think in the Fab Four smoothie, I'm lo- I'm putting a one to two tablespoons of chia. I'm adding spinach. I'm adding sometimes frozen cauliflower rice or chunks of zucchini. Like I'm looking for non-starchy vegetables that a quantity and variety that can really make me feel good. And I do like smoothies because they are easy to digest. They're pretty much pre-digested in that they're blended up, but um, keeping balance in your blender or on your plate is what keeps balance in your, in your blood and ultimately in your body. So where we can, you know, kind of what I'm known for is the fab four smoothie, because I mean, I've educated people for the last decade on how running into a juice place and getting the coconut water, banana, dates, oats, agave, goji berries, maybe totally wrecking their energy. Um, you know, there's small tweaks we can make to get all the benefits of all those plant-based foods in your blender, but still keep the balance in your body. You mentioned snacking and that kind of makes me think, what is your approach with snacking? Is that something that fits within the structure of the kind of fab four framework or do you like people to focus on having really nourishing, satiating meals and and a sort of net effect of that is less snacking? I like less snacking. Now, how you eat will dictate how often you may need to snack, right? Um, So when we have a more balanced or a more elongated blood sugar curve, you do not need to be flatlining your blood sugar. But when you when it's more gradual in the ascent and descent of a curve, the less immediate cravings you have. And um, we were talking about protein earlier. Protein is the key to satiety. In the chart in my first book, over half of the hunger hormones are regulated by protein. Under eating protein can make you crave sugar. Under eating protein can make you hungrier at shorter time intervals. So when we look at the average blood sugar curve, blood sugar goes up for 90 minutes and crashes down for 90 minutes. So that's a three hour window. In the olden days, they used to say, oh, you need to stoke your metabolism. You should eat every three hours. Well, what they were doing was preventing that crash. They're like, oh, well, if your blood sugar goes up for three hours and comes down for three hours, we'll just give you a a mid-morning snack and then we'll give you a lunch and then we'll give you a mid-afternoon snack and then we'll give you a dinner. And what they were trying to do was balance blood sugar by being reactive versus saying, well, why don't we try eating more whole foods? Because of the process of eating more whole foods naturally allows for that elongation for four to six hours. Now, I do think it's important that people have enough protein with the first meal of the day because that really does dictate how their where their cravings are and how easy it is for them to eat in a balanced way. So I I'm not anti-snacking. I, I joke in my first book, snacking's not for you're not a toddler, so you don't need snacks. But depending on someone's lifestyle, I will say for my plant-based clients, it may look like four smaller meals versus being able to just have two, but it truly depends on protein intake and and how and where they're getting it. So if someone is feeling like they're always hungry, they always feel like snacking, perhaps that is a bit of a cue to go away and look at the sort of construction of those main meals that they're having. Yes. So one of the reasons why the Fab Four smoothie has worked really well for my clients is that a lot of times I'll have a plant-based client 
who maybe is having oatmeal for breakfast and they're putting a tablespoon of almond butter in it, you know, or maybe they're adding a little bit of chia seeds and they're getting 10 grams of protein in that meal and they're feeling hungry three hours later. They have nothing. I mean, the chia is a great ad because it's adding fiber and it's adding protein. The almond butter, okay, great ad. It's adding protein and it's adding fat and it's adding a little more fiber. But I may take advantage of the Fab Four smoothie with a plant-based client who's never known what it felt like to have 20 to 30 grams of protein when they break their fast. And so plant-based proteins that I love include uh, pea protein, hemp protein. I'm coming out with a chocho bean protein, which is the lupini bean. It's it's a complete protein. It's chocho bean powder. So it's going to come with some carbohydrates, but it's keto-friendly. So it's actually a lower carbohydrate bean. It's lectin-free. It's regenerative. It's coming from the Andes mountains. And it's I'm like really excited about this because I'm always looking for answers for people. And I wrote a whole chapter in my second book, Body Love Every Day for the plant-based devotee, because it takes a little bit more effort to get the protein that you need to feel satisfied to not have to snack all day. And so I always challenge my plant-based clients just to take advantage of the Fab Four smoothie and see what it's like to add protein, a 20 gram serving of protein to that smoothie and how they feel. Mm -hmm. That's a really good tip. You mentioned fruit juice before and orange juice. And I think I think this confuses a, a lot of people. And and I certainly wrote in my book that I'm not a big fan of of, of people drinking these juices without fiber and uh, very concentrated sources of of sugar. But I, I'm interested in just walking through your overall philosophy around fruit and fruit sugar. Are there you know certain fruits that you would rather people focus on than others? How do you kind of like to approach this? I am all for whole foods. I'm all for whole fruits. Um, my mom's a good example. She loves orange juice. She's loved it since I was little. She also loved regular cans of red Coke. Um, so getting her off the Coke was the first, <laughs> a big win for me. And then, you know, moving to get her off the orange juice was the second big win for me. But, you know, I don't think what people realize how much they're drinking. And so a good example is my son came home from school and he said, everyone had orange juice. And I said, okay, let's make some. And we took a little cup and we took an orange and we squeezed the, the entire orange into his cup. And it was a shot glass worth of orange juice. And so when we think about the quantity of sugar people are consuming, when they sit down to eight to 10 ounces of orange juice, this is upwards of 20 to 30 grams of sugar. And so what I think people forget is that the granulated sugar that they're that they're using can come from beets. It can come from sugar cane. This is a natural plant-based food. We're just concentrating things. And so I would just caution people around the quantity that they're eating and the amount of grams of sugar that they're consuming in a, in a sitting. Just because something is natural, like dates, for example, doesn't mean we can sit down and have eight of them without having the consequences to our blood glucose levels, to our energy levels, to all of it. So um, I would say my preference would be that you're having lower glycemic fruits that are rich in fiber, like berries that are loaded with polyphenols that give you all that benefit versus sitting down to tropical fruits like a bunch of bananas and pineapple and mango. There's definitely a time and place for that. I'm not anti those things. I just always want my client to look at how is it making them feel? 
How is it affecting their blood sugar? How is it affecting their energy? And if they don't feel different and they feel good, they're active and they are making space in their muscles for that type of sugar, great. I am a consultant for your health and the elevation of your health. If I just tell people how to eat, they don't identify with it. It's no longer a lifestyle. It's just a diet. And probably uh, some of this comes down to the individual and you sort of alluded there, you know, how active is someone, how insulin resistant are they, what's, what's their body weight like, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And when we look at like, when we look at fruits, tropical fruits, like I'm in Southern California, I go to a whole foods market. I have fruit from all over the world. I have access to all of it all year round whenever I want it. And so we have to really think about what we may have had access to and how often and at what quantities. If I think about what's even downstairs in my kitchen right now, it's like, I have everything. Like I have apples, I have bananas, I have oranges, I have berries. Like I probably have more berries than anything else. And I'd love for my children to have those things. Um, But I do, I do really look at overall sugar, sugar intake. I mean, my mom took my three-year-old to picked them up from school and took them to a frozen yogurt place here in Southern California. And she's like, they had Dole Whip. It's just whipped pineapple. And I was happy that she made that decision um, over like a sugar infused kind of like frozen yogurt. But at the same time, it's about the quantity. There's still loads of sugar in that. And so, um, and my son's really active. And it was a Friday after school, no big deal, but it's not going to become a habit that I'm getting him this frozen dole with every day. I mean, I've really started to focus on prenatal pregnancy and, and, and childhood nutrition based on blood sugar levels. And what does the research say? And we know like elevated blood sugar in children, we're seeing uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in kids. And it's based on liquid sugar. Like it's based on the fruit drinks and the fruit juices and the Gatorades and the sports drinks and the sodas that they have access to at such a young age. Mm, high fructose corn syrup. Oh, God, don't get me started. What, what's, what's really interesting, and this is kind of another angle of looking at this, is I had uh, Robbie Barbero and Cyrus Kambada, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, from Mastering Diabetes on my show. And they, particularly Robbie, he eats pretty much an all-fruit diet. He has, uh, he's living with type 1 diabetes and has phenomenal sort of blood glucose levels and, and time in range. But the way that that diet is constructed is, although it's high in whole fruit, it's very, very low in saturated fat. I don't know if you've looked into their work and, and, and what you sort of think about that, but I think some people listening might be thinking, well, this is kind of at odds with what their philosophy is. Yeah. I mean, they have a very specific diet and a very specific thing that they're following. You always also want to remember as type one, type one diabetics are using insulin to support blood glucose and can adjust their insulin levels to be in range. Whereas a lay person following a high fruit, low saturated fat diet may not have the same ability. And so it really is a bio-individual response to these types of diets. And so where Robbie has all the fun with all the fruit, someone that I may be working with 
may end up with elevated blood sugar with two servings of fruit a day. They probably haven't tried a fruititarian approach with low sat- a low saturated fruit- fruititarian style diet. But again, I-, I mean, if it's realistic for someone to follow Robbie's plan, that is, that's on them. Yeah. And that's a good point. A lot of this comes back to adherence. And, and if there are multiple ways, I guess, maybe there is multiple ways of achieving good blood glucose control and, and people need to find a way that they can actually sustain and feel good on. Fiber, you've mentioned a few times and you've sort of spoken about why it's beneficial uh, and we've gone through fruit there. But just in general, when someone's thinking about adding fiber to their, to their meal and uh, whether they're out at a restaurant or they're thinking about making dinner, what are, what are kind of the top foods that you're thinking about there to, to bring fiber to the plate? Right. I look at it as smoothie-based fibers and then I look at plate-based fibers. So let's say that you are out with friends and you're eating out. I mean, I love a light structure lifestyle like the Fab Four because I can say, they were at an Italian restaurant and people are ordering pastas and pizzas. And I go, hey guys, let's get this you know, Italian chop. Let's add that. Or can we get the roasted broccolini and add that to the table? So fiber and greens, you'll notice are two separate categories for the fab four. So fiber encompasses non-starchy vegetables. That's your, you know, any of your cruciferous vegetables, your broccoli, your cauliflower, um, radish, even cucumber, zucchini, any non-starchy vegetable that you can add to your plate um, would be welcomed. Um, but when I, I separate leafy greens and like the herbs and things like that, because there is this automatic assumption that that is a great source of fiber and it really is low when it comes to fiber intake. It's one to two grams for a couple of cups, which is, you know, you can get a cup and double that sometimes triple that depending on the non-starchy vegetable that you're eating. So when it comes to plates, it's really about all of those non-starchy vegetables, even uh, low glycemic fruits like berries, uh, great sources of fiber. When it comes to your smoothie, I think about things like nuts and seeds, easy ways to add fiber, chia, flax. Um, I even add fiber-based powders occasionally, psyllium husk. You have your soluble fiber, which turns to a gel-like consistency and ferments by your uh, microbiota and those microbes and they proliferate and they multiply. And then you have insoluble fiber, which does the good job of pushing things through you, speeding up your bowels and causing that removal. So I think, you know, think about it like an orchestra. It doesn't, you're never going to really get them alone in most whole foods. They come together and they create this beautiful, like healthy microbiome that allows for the fermentation and the feeding of healthy microbes. And then the elimination, the removal of things like old sex hormones and old cholesterol, and just without the reabsorption of these things later on, on the line, if you will. And you mentioned greens there and that actually makes me think. So I, my dad lives in the States uh, so I probably haven't seen him as much as I would have liked to over the last couple of years, but I did get over to see him late last year and, uh, I was looking, reviewing his diet, you know, as, as much as I could, it's hard to sometimes influence your family. But one thing that I, I just focused on was to try and set him up with a smoothie to start his day. Love it. And yeah. And 
he has never loved greens. <laughs> you know, he's had this kind of aversion to anything green. And uh, this is just a bit of a tip for folks out there, putting those greens into his smoothie, he didn't even really realize they were in there. So now uh, I'm told because he reports back to me and sends me photos on WhatsApp um, <laughs> that the smoothies with the greens and and there is definitely protein and there's fat uh, and there's fiber in there. They're, they're going down like a charm, he says. I mean, that's the thing is, is it, it, we just talked about compliance and there has to be, I mean, after working with clients for as long as I have to really make an impact in someone's life. They have to like it. They don't have to love it, but they have to like it enough to like to have it and to comply and to eat it or drink it. And then to really think about how it's making them feel. Like your dad probably feels really proud of himself. He's making you proud. He's he's probably surprised at the fact that he's having these green smoothies every day and he's setting himself up for success. I mean, no, my, you know, I have clients who've really benefited from having a smoothie every single day. And to think about the amount of plant-based foods that they were able to incorporate into their diet, we know, um, you know, amazing. And we talked about it on my podcast, all the research um, from the Sonnenbergs where you're like the variety and quantity of plant-based foods in your diet, where your dad probably wasn't having leafy greens and he maybe wasn't, you know, if you're having chia or flax or, or berries or sneaking cauliflower in there, like there are so many things not to say that as adults, we need to sneak the plant-based foods into our diet, but a lot of times we can get in the grind of work and life and pulling the stuff out of the fridge that's you know covered in dirt that we have to wash and chop and clean. It doesn't happen as often if people are moving fast and a smoothie meets people where they are. You can move fast and fuel yourself right. Yeah, I'm laughing because you mentioned cauliflower and... Uh... Yeah, my dad definitely has an aversion to cauliflower, and that was the one food that he wouldn't even let me hide in there. Because <laughs> if, if he knew it was in there, he wouldn't drink it. But we're—he sounds like a child, doesn't he? But no. I guess we're all—we're all just uh, grown-up children. But we're—we're um, we're working on on that one with him at the moment. So we'll—we'll we'll see how we go with that. I've got a question, and it kind of comes back to what we were talking about with sugar and refined carbohydrates. If someone's thinking, you know, I, I really enjoy something sweet added to my tea or to my coffee, do you have any, any sort of recommendations there? I use with clients sometimes inulin, which is an, uh, a fiber that's a little bit sweet. Um, that can be added to a coffee or a tea. I have clients who use um, a couple drops of stevia or monk fruit. Um, I have clients who use honey. So um, beekeepers naturals. Now honey is going to cause a glucose excursion. It is going to take you up. Um, You have to see how you respond, right? So is having a little bit of honey in your tea or your coffee causing you to crave sugar a couple hours later, or are you having that and then going to work out and move your body and you're burning it up really quick? Like there's so much to think about when it comes to, to sugar, but I do prefer probably, um, an organic monk fruit or an inulin. Um, but it really, again, it's based on lifestyle. Cool. To kind of close this one out and thank you so much. This has been such an an informative episode, you know, changing the foods on our plate is 
often easier said than done. And I'm sure there's lots of people that are, are listening and listen to this show regularly and perhaps they get super pumped up and then they drop back into their daily life. And, and, and I know that I've gone through this myself. And then you think, hmm, that's definitely harder than it sounded. Why am I not able to stick to this? Is there a problem with me? And, you know, particularly we're faced with this given the way that our food environment kind of shows up and, and all of the, the temptations there. What are some of your major tips that you have that can help people stick to, to certain dietary changes that they would like to make? I think it's really important that we're changing one thing at a time. A lot of times when a client feels down and out and they have labeled themselves a failure and they feel guilt and shameful and they say, it's going to be Monday. I'm going to change. This is what my day is going to look like. I'm going to fast and then I'm going to work out and then I'm going to have a you know, greens powder in my smoothie and then I'm going to have this salad for lunch and then I'm going to go to bed early and they let themselves down because they haven't taken the time to build these habits brick by brick. I talk about building the foundation of your healthy house brick by brick. And so each one of these, whether it's like a drinking a smoothie or intermittent fasting or having green tea, you can think about the health benefits of all of these things, but you need to look at how it will integrate into your life and pick one, get good at it like a habit, lay that brick, add the mortar, and then pick another one. So a lot of times it's most beneficial for clients to work their way through the day. Can we dial in? Let's look at the next month. I want you to dial in your breakfast, whenever that is for you. It needs to be something that has protein in it and that you know maybe you're using a smoothie as a technique for you. Great, let's try that for a month and let's really make it a habit. Then set a calendar alarm or you know in your, when you journal or manifest at the beginning of each month okay great now let's now that we've dialed in our breakfast how do we level up at lunch what can we do to create an environment that allows us to make that lunch a new habit and so maybe that for you is what i call meal prep light every sunday i don't meal prep for 6 hours but i bring in all the produce that i bought i wash it i chop it i put it in containers that way when i open my fridge it isn't this hard thing to make a salad or to saute some veggies or to sit down to a, that balanced fab four plate, it's easier. And it, all it took was 35 to 40 minutes on a Sunday when I got back from the farmer's market. So think about what is going to make the biggest impact in your life. Pick one healthy habit, get good at it, and then layer on the next. I love that. And it reminds me of James Clear and his book, Atomic Habits. And he kind of talks about if you're wanting to establish a new habit, try and remove some resistance, which is what you're talking about by doing that chopping so that when you are going to act in a certain way, it's easier, there's less friction. And then the same applies if you are wanting to get rid of a certain habit, you know, perhaps eating certain foods that contain a lot of refined carbohydrates, then add some friction try and get them out of your environment uh, or just reduce, you know, at least reduce the, the amount of them. Before we, we wind up, we've sort of zoomed in on, on food and the types of food to eat here, but I'm interested from an overall lifestyle point of view, when we're considering blood glucose control, what, what other aspects of someone's lifestyle could they consider that could also help with that elongation of that curve? Yeah, it's really important to understand the things that, that affect blood glucose that have nothing to do with eating. So 
Things that impact your blood sugar when you're not eating include caffeine, physical and psychological stress. And so when we think about that, that may be a really hard hit workout. That may be um, an email that came in from your boss. What's happening is you have a surge of adrenaline and cortisol that causes your liver to take stored glucose and dump it into your bloodstream. So what you're going to see is an elevation in blood glucose as a response from your body saying, Hey, we need some energy. Here's some energy into your bloodstream and what can happen. And that same thing happens when we have caffeine, right? People who are, especially who are slow metabolizers of caffeine, when that caffeine hits them, their body responds in a, in a stress response. And so that stress, however it is, and I have to add that I'm not saying that you should not work out because you have a change in blood glucose, because we are not trying to flatline. Remember, we're just natural body responses, but be aware of these things. Because what can happen is, I'll give you an example. Anytime that I'm doing television, I have a surge in adrenaline and cortisol. I'm getting up, I'm going to do a presentation, I'm going to speak with um, you know, a news anchor, whatever the case may be. I'm normally fasted a lot of times for things that maybe in a conversation like this, I feel clear first thing in the morning. Okay. Maybe a little coffee or tea, but nothing too much. And an occasion like that, I will lighten my caffeine load. I'll go in, I'll, I'll do that TV segment. And then I will have fuel after because what will have happened is I will have had this huge surge of adrenaline and cortisol. My blood sugar will have flooded into my bloodstream so that I had energy to get through that and I'm ready to go. Boom, 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 do the segment. But what what I feel on the back end of that is a crash in energy and almost like just completely out of energy. And so that happens to people whenever they're presenting, maybe you're presenting for your job or um, you're required to have this surge of focus. So anytime that that happens, um, I would say it's important for people to fuel up. So the same thing can happen for a workout. I have clients who leave a workout and then they feel energized. They don't feel depleted. They might be fine having a fasted workout and elongating that fast into when they feel hungry. There are other clients that work out and they feel completely depleted after that workout, they may benefit from fueling up with protein, fat, and fiber, especially if their body has allowed for a surge of glucose and they've crashed out from that activity. So I'm always looking for ways to balance out if you've had some type of a stressful experience to balance through it and to find ways to to stay in balance the rest of the day. What about sleep? Do you, do you think much about sleep or sleep quality when it comes to this? Sleep quality highly impacts your blood sugar. So if someone has a poor night's sleep, they're effectively insulin resistant the next day, meaning high carbohydrate processed food choices. Not only are they gonna, is it going to elevate blood sugar, but your blood sugar is going to stay elevated and you're going to have a hard time pulling that glucose into your muscles and storing it as energy. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love what you're doing. I love how you deliver it. I find these episodes super interesting, learning from other nutritionists with different philosophies and approaches, and I'm sure the listeners will too, especially anyone who is perhaps struggling to make changes to their diet. You know, The more tools that we have, the merrier. So thank you so much. And uh, if folks would like to hear more from you or connect with you 
online, ask you questions, uh, where's the best place for them to go? On Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, at Be Well by Kelly. Uh, my books are Body Love and Body Love Every Day. And then you can head to my website, kellylevesque.com to find courses and free downloads and a lot of blog posts where I share my opinion. Amazing. And science. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. There we go, my friends. I hope you found that one interesting. I know I certainly did. Before I let you go, quick teaser on something new that's coming. This show is evolving as we all are. Head to theproof.com for a few details and register your email to join the priority list. That's theproof.com. And with that, I think we can land this airplane. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I love you guys. And as always, I'm looking forward to repeating things in just a few days' time. Until then, remember, more plants, my friends, more plants.